text for the sermon this morning, congregation, is Genesis 37, the first 20 verses of Genesis 37. And we read there the word of God as follows. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and took it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. So far, the text for the sermon this morning. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that also then the guests worshiping with us today. This morning, I'd like to begin a, a series of sermons about Joseph, but you realize that the focus in this sermon series will ultimately not be on the person of Joseph as such, 
but on God and Jesus Christ. For Joseph is simply one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament church out of which and for which the Lord Jesus Christ came to bring uh, salvation, redemption. And you see that in how our text introduces the chapters that follow. Verse 2 says, this is the history of Jacob. And then in the following chapters, most of what is written is about Joseph. Also Judah, but mainly Joseph. And how Israel ends up in Egypt. That's because Jacob and his 12 sons represent the Old Testament church. And you see that also in verse 3 where it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Israel. That's a, his covenant name. Jacob's covenant name represents the Old Testament church. The father of the Old Testament church. So the, the story of Joseph is about the, the church of Christ which he bought with his blood and which he has been gathering from the beginning of the world to its end. And also in our text, the Lord keeps his church, gathers it. And what we see happening in the church in those days is not very great, is it? Disobedience and hatred among brothers in the Lord. But also, by the grace of God, faithfulness, godliness. And we see from our text this morning that the latter is what the Lord seeks in his church from his people. And with that in mind, I preach to you the text with this theme, in his church the Lord doesn't seek great, but godly people. The Lord seeks godly people, and we see this in the attitude of Joseph toward his brothers, the attitude of Jacob toward Joseph, the attitude of the Lord toward Joseph, and the attitude of the brothers toward Joseph. First of all, the attitude of Joseph toward his brothers. I noticed that some children's Bibles seem to paint a picture of Joseph as a spoiled son, little Lord Flatterlony favored by his father, Jacob, because he was a son of his beloved wife, Rachel. And then Joseph self-righteously tattles on his brothers about their bad behavior among the Canaanites. But if you look carefully at this whole passage and the context, you realize that that's not the correct picture necessarily. Not the correct picture. For one thing, Father Jacob sends Joseph out to herd the sheep with his other brothers, even though he was still pretty young. 17 years of age, we're told. He was 17. So Jacob did not allow him to nicely stay at home by the, the fire, home fires while the others had to toil out in the fields. No, he had to work like everybody else. Okay. We read that Joseph brought a bad report of the sons of Jacob to his father. And that might sound like he was tattling on them, you know, uh, passing on bad rumors or so. It's not the case, congregation. There's every reason to assume that those sons of Jacob were up to no good. We're told in chapter 35 that when Jacob's daughter Dinah was violated by Hamor the Hivite, a Canaanite, and wanted her to be his wife, Simeon and Levi went and killed Hamor 
and his father and all the males living in Shechem, at the edge of the sword, and they plundered the city. Jacob complained about it. Those brothers brushed his words aside. Not nice guys. And in the previous chapter, we're told that Jacob's oldest son, Reuben, had sexual relations with Bilhah, one of Jacob's other wives. And in chapter 38, we have that whole sordid story about Judah, one of the other sons of Jacob, having sexual relations with someone who he thought was a prostitute but was actually his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And he had a child by her. So there, there was a lot of reason for great concern in the Old Testament church. Men who belonged to the covenant and church of God were living pretty immoral lives there. All was not well with the covenant people at the time. And we're not even told everything that those sons were up to there was obviously more bad stuff going on that Joseph had to tell his father about. He reported it to his father. Is he being a, a, a tattletale there, a spoil sport? If some of the boys or girls at school continually bully, bully another student and they refuse to stop when you tell them to do so, is telling one of the teachers about it being a tattletale, boys and girls? What if you, you didn't say anything and the teacher gets to know about it later on also that you saw what was going on? I'm sure the teacher would ask you, why didn't you say something about it? Bad behavior, that has to be dealt with. That's why Joseph went to Jacob. He felt this has to be dealt with. Maybe he tried talking with his brothers about what they were doing first, but when... They only told him to get lost. He went to his father. Not tattling. Don't forget, Joseph was only 17 years old and his brothers were full-grown men at the time too. And when Joseph saw that the name of God and the, the name of the church were being sullied, he went, to, he went to Jacob, the head of the household. And we could say the leader of the church of those days. He had the say and the responsibility to call his sons to repentance and to obedience in the Lord, the God of the covenant, to the Lord, the God of the covenant. So, so Joseph was not necessarily a miserable little tattletale here, but a young man who loved the Lord. Let's see him that way. He knew what it was to be the grandson of Abraham and heir of God's promises. God had said to Abraham, keep my covenant and live blamelessly before me, and I will bless you and your children. His grandson Joseph had apparently taken those words to heart. And he knew his brothers were in danger of losing the covenant blessings if they kept up their godly, godless activities. So we could even think that it was out of concern. Let, let's just assume that it was out of concern for them and for the church that Joseph went to Jacob not because he wanted to be a spoiled sport. Isn't that what God wants, congregation? That we speak up, that we, that we also protest when sin creeps into the church, 
Not that we just shake our heads at what's wrong, but that we step up too to correct it. Oh, there's sometimes among church members a tendency to cover up sins even, right? Kind of a conspiracy of silence. You know about a sin being committed, but you keep quiet about it. You don't want to be seen as a snitch. Kill joy. So you don't say anything. Don't talk to the person. Don't let the consistory hear about it. Let them find out for themselves. Let just, maybe it'll go away by itself. But the sin just continues to work like leaven in the church. That's how it works. And it gives the Lord and the church a bad name with others too. And that's why the Bible calls us to deal with sin in the church, to do what we can to clean it up, to follow the steps of Matthew 18. And that's not only something for the older members of the church, that counts for the, you too, young people. You young people know what's going on among each other, maybe even know about alcohol abuse or drug use or sexual relations outside of marriage. The pressure is then, don't say anything. Don't tell on someone. And then it sounds as if you're being loyal to, to your friends, but it's not being loyal at all. Loyalty in the covenant and, the, and in the church means not hiding sins, but dealing with them. Because sin wrecks things. Sin ruins the church. There's no blessing on sinful activities. No future with it. God hates sin. We hear that so clearly in the form for Lord's Supper every time. The wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished. But that's a beautiful thing for us, that he has punished it in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. God has promised you escape from his righteous wrath in his son. So how could anyone with that promise just continue in a sin or try to hide it? You'd be spitting on the cross of Christ. Sin has to be dealt with in the church. Joseph was a young man, 17 years of age. One of the young people, you could say. He loved the Lord, hoped in his promises. And he knew that sin could wreck his brother's covenant relationship with God if it wasn't dealt with in this family. So he went and he told his father about it. You could say he went to the consistory with it. And that's actually out of love for those brothers. It's love for brothers. Love for someone when you deal with his or her sin. And then the question would be, who, who do you look like the most today, Joseph or his brothers? We come to the second part of the sermon, the attitude of Jacob toward Joseph. So the first was Joseph toward his brothers. Now, Jacob toward Joseph. Verse 3 of the text says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. You know, when you read that just off like that, you might get the impression, again, that Joseph was a, a bit of a spoiled brat. His father treated him in a special way above his other siblings and uh, gave him even a fancy coat of many colors. 
But in this verse, translation and interpretation come pretty close together. The translators maybe had that picture of Joseph as a spoiled child in mind when they rendered verse 3 the way they did. Because you could also translate this verse differently, like this. And Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, even though he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And then the idea is that Jacob's love for Joseph above his other children was connected to Joseph's expressions of concern about the immoral behavior of the brothers to his father and his own godliness. And then that coat of many colors was then not so much about Jacob playing favorites with Joseph as about elevating Joseph to leadership among his brothers. That coat of many colors then said to the others, this son of mine is the leader in godliness among my children in my family. Why this interpretation, congregation? Well, for a number of reasons. Joseph was not the youngest son of old Jacob, the last child to which he was therefore partial. Benjamin was the youngest. And Joseph wasn't even that much younger, actually, than his, the next brother up. All of Jacob's sons up to Joseph had been born in Haran when Jacob was working for his father-in-law, Laban. All of the, the sons had been born in, in Haran, except for Benjamin. So all of those sons had been born in the space of seven years. You can figure that out, right? Genesis 30 tells us that Joseph was born when Jacob had worked for Laban for 14 years. And you know that the first seven years that Jacob worked for Laban, he had not been married. Because he had to work those seven years in order to marry Rachel. And then, as you know, at the end of those seven years, Laban conned Jacob into marrying both his daughters, Leah and Rachel. Well, all the children born to Jacob in Haran, they were born in those seven years that followed between his marriage to those two women. So there was maybe less than a year between Zebulun, the second last son born in Haran, and Joseph. So Joseph wasn't a child born much later, and hence the special love of old Joseph. Here is my little boy yet. No. Joseph had other brothers who were around the same age as him, maybe also 17 or 18. And there's another reason why the interpretation I mentioned is more acceptable. The eldest son of a family in the Old Testament was normally the one who had the biggest share of the inheritance, had the special place in the family, the future head of the family. Only in exceptional cases did a younger son take the special position. It did happen, though. It did happen. In 1 Chronicles 26, 10, we're told about a certain Shimri who was not the oldest son but who was elevated above his brothers by his father. Well, that's what Jacob did in our text. Remember that in the previous chapter, we're told that the eldest son, Reuben, had sexual relations with one of Jacob's own wives. This man was immoral. So even though Joseph was one of the younger sons, Jacob loved him most, set him above his brothers, and the coat of many colors proclaimed that. And again, the reason why Jacob loved Joseph most, set him above his brothers, was because Joseph showed he wanted to serve the Lord, the God of the covenant. Jacob recognized that 
He was the covenant head, Jacob, and he recognized that. And that's why in verse 3 he's called Israel. Jacob's name is covenant father. So it wasn't because of trivial reasons that Jacob loved Joseph more than the others and gave him that special quote. No, it was because he saw Joseph as the spiritual leader among all his sons. This boy is godly. He loves the Lord. So congregation, let's not simply jump to the conclusion that Jacob let himself be led by emotional or other sentimental reasons when he showed special affection for Joseph. He even went against the accepted custom of those days, which was, as you mentioned, to give the oldest son exceptional attention. No, he set Joseph above the others, gave him that coat because he saw that Joseph loved the Lord and his promises more than the other sons, more than his other sons. And... Ultimately, isn't that what we should appreciate more than any other quality among us two brothers and sisters, boys and girls? It, it isn't strength or intellect or beauty or, or even age or, or wealth or so that deserves our respect and appreciation most of all also among brothers, but godliness, godliness, the desire to be faithful to God in the covenant community, it's those who truly want to serve the Lord who are the leaders. God can use the, those people. He can use those people for the good of his church as he used Joseph later on. And we see that in the third part of the sermon, the attitude of the Lord toward Joseph. Yes, congregation, in his church, God can make good use of people who just want to be faithful to him. Jacob's special love for Joseph wasn't a random emotional thing. He saw the work of the Lord in Joseph, and that's why he put him above his brothers. And the Lord God himself confirms Jacob's attitude toward Joseph, setting Joseph above the other brothers, because he gave Joseph two very special dreams, two revelations, special revelations in which the whole family actually bowed before Joseph. You know that at that time in history, God sometimes used dreams to reveal himself and his ways to, to people. He had spoken to Abraham as well as also to, to Jacob in dreams. In those days when God's word had not yet been written down in the Bible as we have it, people knew that God would often speak to to them in dreams, would reveal himself in dreams, his, his will, his way. That's what happened in Joseph's two dreams. God emphasized Jacob's elevating of Joseph among his brothers by speaking to, to Joseph in those dreams. For in those dreams, God himself also elevates Joseph above his brothers in his family. And God, in fact, gives Joseph a prophetic vision that was going to happen later on, you know, in Egypt, when the family would bow before him when he was king of Egypt. And that Joseph is shown that in those true dreams at that time already means that God has certainly established that that would happen. Two dreams. Confirms it. You couldn't get around it. Two dreams saying the same thing. That's God's revelation. 
And God showed that to Jacob and to the brothers. Joseph is my instrument. Seek congregation by means of those true dreams the Lord God proclaims clearly that even though Joseph is one of the youngest in the family, he was going to be exalted above all, all of them, because God doesn't look at age or status or wealth or intellect. As we mentioned, God's evaluation of people is based on whether they love him and want to serve him in their hearts. And then little ones in his kingdom are great. Then the last are the first. That's God's style. That's the way he works. Think of how he chose David to be king of his people Israel. God, you remember that God let all the sons of Jesse pass before old Samuel. They were all big, strong men. Soldiers even. Heroes. But he told Samuel to anoint the youngest son who looked after the sheep, who wasn't even there at first. This is the one. Think of our Savior himself, who became the least of all, humbled himself on the cross in obedience to his Father in order to become Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Congregation, you see that the Lord God doesn't seek great people in his church, but people who humbly love him and serve him. Those kind of people may not be looked up to by the world. They may be hated by the world. We read that in, in John 15, as, as, as the Lord himself, the Savior of the church, was hated. But, but they are the kind of people that God can use to build and keep his church. They're usually not esteemed by other people, not even brothers and sisters in the Lord. But they're the ones God exalts in his kingdom. He loves them, even though others may not. And we see that in the last part of the sermon this morning, the attitude of the brothers toward Joseph. You can imagine that Joseph himself was pretty amazed at the dreams that he had. His whole family bowing before him. The interpretation was pretty, pretty easy to figure out. You can imagine he wondered whether he should even tell it to the family. That's probably, probably would put him at risk. He knew his brothers didn't like him. How would, how would they react? But he realized this is revelation from God. And therefore that he had to tell the others. And that's what he did. Did Joseph's words about his dreams, his telling about those dreams alarm his brothers? Did they repent of their morality? Did they realize that Jacob may have had a point when he elevated Joseph above them and gave him that special code of honor? On the contrary, their hatred for Joseph only increased. They had already talked down to him all the time. Get that from the text too. But now their hatred became deeper than ever before. See, if it hasn't stopped, it becomes deeper. Jacob himself tried to keep the peace, you know, by questioning Joseph's dreams. Come on, son. Don't get carried away. In the meantime, though, it says, verse 11, that 
he kept the matter in his mind. In other words, he realized there was more to this. And he wondered what in the world the Lord God wanted to say with those dreams. And maybe deep down, the brothers worried about those dreams of Joseph too. Would the Lord really set Joseph above them all? It says in numerous places in Genesis 37 that they hated him. But notice that in verse 11, it says that they, they envied him. Verse 11. They envied him. Envy is, is hating somebody because what they have that you don't have. They envied him. Congregation, they couldn't stand it that God had given Joseph those dreams. They didn't want to accept God's ways with him. And that's why later on when they see him coming toward them through the fields by himself, they say in verses 19 and 20, look, this dreamer is coming. Dreamer. Come, therefore, let us now kill him. They hated that Joseph was the one God had revealed himself to in those dreams. And that he was the one God revealed would be elevated above them. Imagine, congregation, those men who were destined to be the 12 foundations of the Old Testament covenant people Israel, the Old Testament church. Imagine, they're filled with such deep resentment and hatred against the ways of the Lord. How in the world is that possible? And it just grew and grew in them. Sadly, this is something we see throughout the history of the church of the Lord too. Resistance to the Lord and his way of working via people who are considered foolish and weak and even despised in the eyes of others. You see that resistance to the Lord's way of working throughout the Bible. Think of how people, the people of Israel later resisted Moses and Aaron. Yeah, well, who are they? How David's anointing as king was resisted by Saul and even Absalom later on. How the prophets the Lord sent to warn and bring back his people were mistreated by the people time and again. And finally, think of how the Lord Jesus Christ himself, when he came as the Savior among his own people, was hated by the leaders of the Jews in his days, and how his apostles were afterwards abused too when they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the thing is, wherever God's will and way is put forward, there will also be hatred against the way God works. There will be pushback, even within the church. And the Lord Jesus warns about that in John 15. If they hated me, they will hate you. Joseph experienced that. He wanted to live for the Lord. He experienced already what Jesus Christ said later on. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, we're all inclined to resist God's will and way, right? That's our nature. Doesn't God's will and way sometimes meet with resistance in our own hearts? that we resent how he wants us to live with him in the covenant? Why this, Lord? Why can't I be like that? And that we dislike people who remind us of that too, Yen? It's, it's in all of us that we'd rather do our own thing and go our own way than the way of the Lord, right? And we don't always accept his way of working either, working through certain people 
the people he uses to accomplish his work. We don't always accept that either, do we? And we can even wonder, after election of office bearers or so on, why, why him? Why him? What a miracle that God continues to work at his church to gather and keep it. That it's him. That's his work. That he hasn't given up on it and put an end to it long ago. He could have done it in the days of Jacob and Joseph already. Came down to a very narrow little thread. The whole church hung by a thread, so to speak. But the Lord continues his work. He wanted his church to continue to the end of the world. He wanted to work toward that day when all sin and resistance to him is done away with forever. That's why he engaged Joseph, that young man, 17 years old, engaged him in his plan the way he did. That's why he sent his own son to this earth, Christ, perfect in his love for his Father in heaven and serving him. His food was to do his Father's will. And as a result, people hated him. His own did not receive him, John writes in his gospel. And he ended up being crucified. So he took, then he took all God's wrath against our sins on himself. Well, it's because of him that God continues to work toward the new heavens and the new earth, continues to gather and keep and build his church. Because of him, Jesus Christ, that God is also willing to use us in spite of our shortcomings and weaknesses. As long as we, we humbly love him and seek to serve him, then even if you're young, even if other people look down on you, even hate you, you're useful to the Lord. For in the gathering and keeping of his church and the coming of his kingdom, He's not after great people. He's after godly ones. Amen.